What 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 that was fast. I feel like it was uh, just about two weeks ago that you and I were sitting out, uh, out by the pool discussing how the playoffs were going to go. To be fair, I thought we would be sitting by the pool again for this episode, but it started raining. So. Yeah, that was... Yeah, I, I didn't mind that. The, like, the guy playing... Like Call of Duty at maximum volume. Oh, he added something. He's like a face puncher. Oh, I see. Yeah, like a little bit of character in yeah, there. Yeah, he's like a face puncher. He really ties it all together. <laughs> Cody McLeod. Or that guy they just signed, whose name I don't even bother to know. Matthew Olivier. Thank you. I think. Olivier. I think, it's, I think it might just be Matthew Oliver, but it's spelled very French. Like the oh, yes. Matthew is M-A-T-H-I-E-U. I mean, the Predators have a Quebecois HLR. I don't think they need... A second. Freddie Goudreau. <laughs> Quite frankly, yeah. The less Quebecois AHLers, the better. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll take this stand. <laughs> this is where I draw the line. <sighs> yeah, the uh, the Preds. They're so, bad. Yeah. That was uh, not pretty, if you're a Nashville fan. Who could have seen this coming? <clears throat> well, you know, I could have sworn I was listening to the radio... About two weeks ago. In fact, I believe it was two weeks ago to the day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, wow. That uh, we said that we were... No, it must have been three. Yeah, I think it, it was three. three. Yeah. Well, same, you know, whatever. What truly yeah. is the difference? And I felt a little ashamed because um, the Honorable Justin Bradford asked you and I each to take off our, I believe he said, analytics hats. Yeah, I thought there might be some other terms there, but yeah, yeah. Well, I've changed that to analytics pants because I like telling, I just like using that phrase with Justin. Take off my analytics pants. He asked us to do that. <laughs> hats, the hats, hats one. Yeah, that, not the pants. <laughs> he asked us to do the hats one, and uh, and give like a kind of a heart and soul prediction about the Predators uh, Star series. And you and I really were no fun at all, and still said yeah. probably stars. And I think I didn't go back to check because I want to say I, 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 I said seven did. games or okay. you said six. After, oh, I did because you wanted to be different. Yeah, so you're you're right technically. Okay, see, I thought I had chickened out and gone with seven. No. Okay, wow, so I nailed it. And then just I think Justin said Preds in seven. I think he he was the flip side of my coin. Yeah, I mean, I think that it yeah in a, in it, like if it started over, you know what? Like like a like a good Chicago fan once said. I don't think the Predators were given a fair shake. <laughs> I think that they should. No. I've watched this team all 82 <laughs> games. I put in the work. No, I'm not saying that they that, that Dallas, in, by any means, did not deserve to win the series. I don't think that we really saw Nashville's best for any of those games. Um, but I, I don't, I'm not at all surprised at the result, clearly, since I took off my analytics pants and yeah. nailed it right on air. Yeah, I mean... I don't, you know, I was there in the studio with you. You never ever took off a hat or pants no, or anything, no, 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 no. but it's just, it's, when, once you've seen the numbers, it's kind of hard to separate it just because you know what's coming. Yeah, the, I mean, we've seen, I mean, definitely two years ago and 
you could argue last year that Nashville kind of lived and died by goaltending in the playoffs. And Dallas was, well, I can just tell you, in the regular season, Nashville had the best high danger save percentage in the league, closely followed by Dallas. So this was like two excellent goaltenders facing off. So that wasn't really going to be a huge advantage for Nashville, and that's been, in recent years, that's been kind of their calling card. So once you get rid of goaltending, then you have to actually play, and Nashville didn't do that very well. Nashville barely exited their defensive zone for most of those games, which was really hard to watch. Even just, I mean, I'm I'm a Predators fan, although it's easier now for me to kind of detach myself from any game, but... It's hard to watch, even I imagine as a neutral fan, as you might be able to add to. But when a team literally cannot exit their zone, it kind of hurt. And not e- like Dallas yeah. did well to keep them in the zone, but yeah. oftentimes they just couldn't do it. Regard like they couldn't have done it if they were the only team on the ice. Yeah, uh, Roman Yossi was uncharacteristically terrible at exiting the zone. I think he went from, I think he was all the way down to like a sixty percent. Uh, you know, success rate yeah. near the end there. Like it was just, it was brutal. And meanwhile, every other player kind of hovered around ninety. Although it, all those numbers dropped as soon as you took away dumpouts. Oh yeah, they were like unless your name was PK Subban or Dante, or Dante Fabro, you could not get the puck out of the zone with possession. Yeah, that's um, I mean that we can get to this in a minute, but obviously, like the the response to this team getting just pretty much humiliated in the first round by a lower seed is that, of course, now everyone's just trying to decide what they should do. Mm-hmm. You know, all the armchair GMs, us included, or are trying to kind of speculate on as to what exactly the Predators are going to do in the next couple of months. Um, and maybe we can get to that in a minute. But yeah, I think that, I mean, the two things that really stuck out to me were Nashville didn't get to steal games with goaltending because Dallas was just as capable as doing that. And there was a few games where I thought Ben Bishop wasn't even that good. No, he definitely wasn't. And I guess it was game two. Or no, game three. Game the, one, the first three. game in in, uh, in Dallas where yes. Rahul Grimaldi yeah. had like, that one goal. Why didn't they all just shoot from there? Like The NBC announcers even knew that that's a weird weakness. It's like an Achilles heel of Ben Bishop is that, that really underarm. bad angle shot. But I guess they couldn't really even get to that area, part of the ice. Well, yeah, you, yeah they would have to enter the zone with possession. Yeah. That happen, uh, yeah. We all know how that turned out. Yeah, so the, the zone transitions, and I mean, I guess that's really just the biggest. And and it was it was interesting to read, and I read a great piece about, <clears throat> shoot, I think her first name is Allison. I should have looked up the full name. Uh, athletic Columbus writer. Uh, Allison L., yeah. Allison L., yeah. She wrote about why Columbus was so successful at shutting down Tampa in their first-round series. And her kind of one of the things she she alluded to a lot was what, a good forecheck is not necessarily what we think it is. When you, I guess when like when I think of a good forecheck, I think of a lot of pressure on the puck carrier um, to try to make them kind of make a quick pass or a bad pass. Dallas was... And as she pointed out, Columbus was very successful in positioning themselves correctly so that you really didn't even need to do that for your forecheck to be so effective. They were just taking away all of the angles. Nashville was trying a lot of passes off the boards. And, I mean, you're NHL players, but that's still kind of a crapshoot. 
Yeah, indirect um, passes rarely work that well. Yeah, so, I mean, credit to Jim Montgomery, credit to the Dallas Stars. That was just thorough domination, really, mm-hmm. with a few hiccups maybe from Bishop, but otherwise Nashville really never sniffed a, sh- a shot at this series. Yeah, uh, just just to mention, uh, the writer's name, Allison Lucan. Thank Lucan. You. Thank you. Yeah, wonderful writer. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah, that, and that article did get all due credit, I think, uh, thankfully, because that's, I mean, that's something that I'm, like, that's the kind of ideas that I really want to get into, mm-hmm. and maybe that's my goal for the summer, is to try to figure out how to focus a little less on, like, basically shot attempts, because that's where a lot of this kind of quote-unquote advanced analytics is, at least the ones that are accessible, are, yeah. are a lot of shot attempts and, like, shot quality, which is important, but writers like her are now able to kind of pick out the micro stats and like we talked about you know Corey Schneider's work with zone transitions and your work with zone transitions for that matter oh, as good. you were tracking them during the playoffs unfortunately you didn't get to do that for very long yeah I was really hoping to like I was really hoping the Reds would do that <laughs> yeah I was gonna do it for the Sharks now but I was like ah, no one wants to see me do Sharks <laughs> yeah that would just have to be for personal gain yeah. and I found it I mean you and I, I tried to do it with you in that game six it's very tricky if you have like any kind of interest in the game beyond just as a hockey fan. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean. But anyway, you, you just have to be prepared to rewind like ten yeah. times a game. Though it doesn't really right. have much time to it, but. Yeah, but that was awesome. Like, cause you know, while everyone, kind of me included, was like running around, like, how the hell did Tampa get swept by Columbus? Mm-hmm. Some people are smart enough to actually figure out why, or at least part of why, and. Yeah, so I've kind of thought about going back and giving that series a rewatch, just really trying to get in depth with it done to better understand. But yeah, that was. How do you go from being up three nothing in game one to being swept? <laughs> Ouch! And then becoming Grit. a meme of your own creation with the the tweet, the apology tweet. Oh, that was fantastic. What are your thoughts on that? The apology um, tweet? Yeah, the, specifically the apology tweet by Tampa, the whatever, I don't remember the exact words, but it's like, <sighs> Some, it's, we, did, we don't have the words and we you know, yeah, we know you don't want to hear them or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought I was being broken up with, like, I was like, wow, it's to be 15 <laughs> it was again. was very, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very emotional. I don't know, that was that was really weird. That was just, I I still can't really describe how, I, how that made me feel, but. I mean, I kind of chuckled at it and I can imagine, like, if I put myself in a Tampa's fan, Tampa fan's shoes, I think I would be kind of annoyed by that. Just because it's not very... I mean, it's like it's a sports Twitter account, so yeah. what, really what level of professionalism is expected. But like to me, it, it suggested that the team was aware that they were supposed to do really well, and then they feel like they did it. And that, I feel like even acknowledging that as, a new, or as an organization, I, feel like, I think the players... To me, that yeah. doesn't bother me when the players are like, well, we just didn't execute well, or the coach even. But as an organization, when you say, like, we're, I don't know, I, I don't know, it's hard to articulate, but I, I got kind of a weird feeling, a weird I, vibe from that. I mean, it just, it happened, like, right away, too. It was just very weird. Like, generally yeah. speaking, you should, when something that catastrophic happens for a season, just get, t- yeah, take a away. few days off. Let, that, you know, let the dust settle. Two years ago when Washington lost Game 7 against Pittsburgh for the, you know, nth time or whatever. <laughs> um, of course, now, you know, looking back, it was worth it maybe. But, uh, like, 20 minutes after the end of the game. And, of course, Washington fans have just seen. And, and Washington, like, yeah. fell apart on the ice. And there was, like, all this hype. Big Game 7. They could finally, you know, slay the beast. And then they just didn't even show up. And 
the Washington Capitals like Reddit account went onto their subreddit. Oh. It was just like, you guys are still the best fans in the league, blah, blah, blah. And it, it just got decimated. I was like, yeah. Just just give um, fans a little bit of time. They're emotional. Like, there's like I'm sure Tampa fans are still pissed off now, but they're not like, you know, they're not so angry. And I I'm not I disparaging think, them for being angry. I mean, that's brutal yeah. to have like 82 games of just all this hype about how the postseason's gonna go and then like yeah. disappears, you know. I I can sympathize, but I did think it was a little strange from the team. I do think that the the uh, the lightning Reddit account, or Reddit did really well though. They became a lightning McQueen. Uh, oh yeah, I love them subreddits. The Coyotes do that yeah. every year. I swear they're always like an actual Coyote subreddit. Yeah. I think it was a couple years ago. The Wild did one just on like birds or like. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Anyhow, so I mean, it could be worse for for Nashville. Like, yeah. I can't imagine it gets much worse. I mean, that is like an all time. The Tampa result is an all time sports yeah. disaster. Oh yeah. No, we'll be talking about that 10, 15, 20 years from now. Yeah. And I never look. I never actually looked into this. I just kind of laughed when I saw, or like, got a kick out of it when I saw people talking about Kucherov, you know, not showing up for the play. And I know, like, he took that <coughs> ridiculous suspension or made made the ridiculous play that got him his suspension. I, the suspension was warranted, but uh-huh. I don't know how he played beyond that. I don't know if he really was actually invisible. He had some good scoring chances. They just didn't put up any points. It's it's literally like they were punching above their weight all season. Then regression hit in four games. It'll come. It'll get you. Yeah. Run from it, hide from it. Regression. Regression will find <laughs> it's you. Inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, credit to Dallas. Um, I guess long story short, yeah. credit. I'm very impressed by Jim Montgomery. Yeah, he did a great job. Like their their goal of owning the high danger areas on both sides of the ice. What, their goal never changed, but their strategy to complete said goal changed once every two games. Like it was, it was. They were very well done. Yeah, and against. I mean, I don't know. I'm not like. Uh, I mean, I haven't hidden from the fact that I'm not thrilled with LaViolette, but I'm not one of these people oh, that's yeah. like up on a table, you know, shouting about it. But well, I do. That, th- that's not you as a person. Yeah, right. Even if I felt that way, I don't know. I'm, I'm still figuring out how exactly I feel about this whole off season and what they are apparently doing. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, that was just well, like a. But all coaches are coming back. Do you want to talk about that right now? Well, we will. I will in just a okay. second. I'm just finishing that thought. That I mean, Jim Montgomery. Like, I feel like he never even really tried. Like, that was just brutal. I mean, I don't think... I don't think it was, like, his effort was visible, but I definitely think there's enough changes made to the system. Oh, I know. Yeah. I'm, like... I think that he did he did very well and he worked he did all the right things and he 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 was a very smart coach in that series, but I don't think he ever was really challenged by Nashville. I mean, it's just, like, Nashville just doesn't... They move... In terms of like system level or scheme level things you know positioning and the whole philosophy of how they enter the zone it moves at a glacial pace so truly if you can figure out what they're doing in game one chances are they're still going to be doing it in game six and that's pretty much exactly what happened <laughs> it's like, how could you not look out on the ice and see the product and think you know what maybe we should do something different yeah yeah, well, let's just tra- let's just segue. Unlike the Predators, let's transition successfully into that topic. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you start. I mean, it, uh, Adam Vingan of the Athletic reporting that supposedly all of Nashville's coaches are going to stick around, and I, I mean, I, I guess that came from David Poyles, so I don't have any reason to believe that's not true. But um, yeah, at least as of right now, 
Now, so off ice is going to have the same look. And what do you think about that? Not good. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to just stand up on a table and yell it, but I, I just can't. Like, I don't know how you look at what happened over the last 82 games, or I guess 80, 88 games, and say, you know what, this was good. This was this was great. I mean, this is a team that should have that shouldn't have finished first in the division, only because St. Louis oh, didn't yeah. start trying until December, and and Winnipeg was actively trying to lose. I just, yeah, I don't know. I it was just bad, and the power play. You tried two different assistant coaches on it. Why, you know? But you didn't really change anything. So, what what has to what what else has to happen for you to think that maybe maybe a change would be good? The power play is funny to me because when they did, I guess when they gave the handed over the reins to Dan Muse, um, I I realized how uh, I guess pathetic it had gotten <laughs> when I would like really get happy about things like a completed pass, you know. Be like, oh, well, they actually looked really good on that play and their power play. And then I'd think back and I'd be like, well, they made one pass, yeah. like, as opposed to just standing there and then shooting into somebody's skates. So, well, and then everyone thought for a long time, everyone thought the answer was shooting. Like, do you remember that? Everyone was like, oh, they just need to shoot the puck. Well, everyone always thinks the answer is shooting. It's it, it's just like the, the age old answer to the question. Like, I wouldn't. Dallas didn't take that many shots in the power play, but if you looked, they were they were trying to. They weren't trying to get a shot. They were trying to get the right shot. Yeah. And they weren't shooting unless the puck came through the slot at least once. And it worked. Like, you clearly saw it working. Even if they didn't score, they looked dangerous every time. Yeah. Well, and that's what, um, you know, we had, uh, I forget his last name. I'm really bad with last names today. Sean, the athletic writer from Dallas. Rob Shapiro. Shapiro, thank yeah. you. He, when, when we, when our, when Justin called him on the show, uh, a few weeks ago and asked him what or I guess you asked what Jim Montgomery has done kind yeah. of defensively speaking mm-hmm. and he said that they've they've really emph- started to emphasize quality over quantity so they are, they allow the quantity they don't mind that on a, you know, at a coaching level but they really try to limit the quality and I honestly I think Nashville just walked right into that but it makes sense on the other end of it that their offensive technique would be the same especially in a power play where you're going to have opportunities to take bad shots. You just have to be smart enough not to take them and to look for a better option. It starts with having players with confidence like Rope Hintz and Alex Radulov and yeah. Tyler Sagan, guys that understand that like, I could take a shot here or I could hold on to it for another couple seconds and yeah. use my skill to drop people out of position. Yeah, It showed Nashville had 53% of the, of the shot attempts uh, through all six games. and then, But when it comes to high-danger chances... They actually had forty nine percent. Yeah, granted, the margin for the margin there wasn't huge, mm-hmm. but it counts when you know you go from forty three or sorry fifty three to forty nine percent. Yeah, I mean that's exactly the trend he was suggesting. Um, even if it's a small difference, I mean over five five or six games, I guess six games, you you know maybe you're not going to see much of a difference. But um, yeah. well, we can. T- I mean, the power play specifically. I mean, I'll, like in general. I, I there's really no way to say that I'm happy about the coaching sticking around. No. I think even as I guess it was our buddy Sass Respector pointed out, like he would ex- he expected dear, dear friend, dear friend. I'm sure he wouldn't mind me calling. <laughs> um, he pointed out, you know, that he thought at least one of the assistant coaches would at least be gone as just like a scapegoat. Yeah. So the fact they're keeping the entire group and 
I mean, does that sort of, I don't know, I'm all over on this one, but does that sort of indirectly blame the players, do you think? Do you think yeah. that's David Poyle saying, well, we just don't have the right guys on the ice? If we do have the right guys off the ice, because that's what he's saying. Mm. But at the same time, isn't that more of an indictment of him? Because it's his job to get the right players. And he traded for people on at the period deadline that were supposed to fix the power play, yeah. and they didn't do anything. Yeah. So the power I, that play feels is literally no different. That feels like an indictment of him more so than anything else. I guess, but also an indictment of the players themselves. But yeah. I can't look at this. I can't look at a at a power play line of Johansson, Arvidsson, Forsberg, Subban, and like Ellis, and think you know what they're the problem. Well, that's what I want to talk. I mean, on like online, hashtag online, hashtag online. When I'm on Twitter.com, it's very as with everything, it's very polarized. So right now, a lot of my I honestly don't get it into too many conversations these days, but if I do, it tends to be a, is it all this player's fault, like this particular player's fault, or is none of it this particular player's fault? And you can expand that to the power play, and I want to have this discussion with you now because I think you and I are capable of nuance when we're not trying to like stop somebody from getting you know, roasted alive. I think that we're capable of having a conversation, so I'll ask you this question. How much of the blame for the power play do you place on coaching versus players? Is it assuming it's not 100% and 0% either way? That's that's a tough one. I probably I really want to go like 90-10 for the for the coaching because you know, clearly the strategy is get it to the point and take these low percentage shots and hope to get in the way or hope for a for a screen. But at the same time, like if you're a player, can't you just be like, you know, this isn't working. We need to try something else. And that's kind of where I'm going. But then again, you know, if the players don't do something, if the players actively go against the coach's wishes, they will get sad. Like it doesn't matter who's who. It doesn't matter if it's Forsberg or Johansson. Yeah. Like they're just going to get sad. That's See, what I. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm alluding to. Is like, I believe that the reason the power play started terribly is coaching. And then you have to ask yourself, okay, why did it continue to be terrible when everyone knew it was terrible? Because a lot of people point out, uh-huh. and I think this is a fair thing to point out, if if the players, like Craig Smith, saying quite explicitly that they're all incredibly frustrated with the fact that nothing has changed on the power play in like three years. So they're aware of it. So at what point can you expect the players to just defy the coach? And in, in that case, I mean... If you're ex- if if you're even asking that question to me, that's a huge red flag for the coach. If there is something that is a repeated problem that everyone is aware of, players included, and it's not getting fixed, the fact that you're having to expect the players to suddenly do something on their own about it suggests that there's really no point in the coach being involved in that particular thing anyway. Because mm-hmm. if we're just going to ignore him, then what's the point? So I, it's I have a I'm kind of like you. I have a very hard time blaming the players. And I occasionally I'll just look back. I did this in game, I guess game five. Yeah, Nashville lost at home. Um, I believe they lost at home. Yeah, yeah. surprise. Yeah, yeah, they did. And I think it was like after the second period, yep. which was just another awful like example of Nashville being stuck in their end zone. Turnovers. I mean, ridiculous. Anyway, and I just take a step back and I look at this roster. I look at the individual names on this roster. And you just wonder, 
how is this not working? It's not even like a, you know, this guy's my favorite player thing. It's like you have a, for, none of these guys are new to the league. So you have a long, you have at least, at least three seasons for everybody of reliable production for, you know, that you can expect from these guys. And when none of them are matching it, basically I have a very difficult time blaming the players, um, at least for most of the problems we're seeing. So I, w- I am honestly surprised that the three coaches are back, are coming back. Because, um, you know, as, as you know, and as I know, the, the whole thing, and as most people know, the whole thing after last season was that we're going to give this, this whole group one more shot. Because mm-hmm. we don't think that this is really reflective of what we can do a second round exit. Well, was it one more shot or just another shot? Right, and that's well, that's interesting. I mean, it's looking more like it's going to be just another shot. Because now at this point, when you've said, okay, well, it's not the coach's fault from a management perspective, they're saying it's not the coach's fault. Um, so it must be on the players or on a player or a subset of players. So yeah. which players bring this brings us to the speculation point which everyone is having fun with now. Yeah. Given the whole context of things, given Nashville's uh, cap situation, age of the players, expectations for next season, production of this season, I mean, who do you think, if we're blaming players, because the team is apparently, you know, who, who do we, what do we think is going to happen before October? In a word, probably nothing. I... I what trade do you think you're going to make here? Like, do you really think you're going to get adequate return for a tourist or Subban? I mean, I understand making a trade for the sake of making a trade, but has that ever worked out? I don't think that that's, a, that's not a philosophy that I buy into. I don't think that you should ever have, I don't know. Well, that's, I shouldn't be so black and white about it. I, I would like a team to be more proactive in their trades than reactive. So rather than being a, making a trade because of something that's happened, I'd rather mm-hmm. make a trade because you think that this will you know make something happen in the future. You also got to remember that Nashville is now no longer dealing with a voice of reason. And when I say a voice of reason, I mean an analytics department. Yeah. So, right. Oh, we can. We'll get to that. Well, yeah. Minute. We'll definitely get to that uh, because yeah, we both have, brought that up. I totally forgot about that. We both have a lot of thoughts on that. Yes. Believe it or not, um, but like, can't you just see them trading Subban because you know he his style of hockey isn't the right one for Nashville or trading Tourist because he wasn't good enough down the stretch and just all it would take is someone with natural Cedric to be like, oh, they're PDO or yeah. They, you know, they actually did a lot of good things. It wasn't their fault they lost. Well, it's funny because that would be history repeating itself with Subban, right? And we make fun of yeah. Montreal for making that trade. Well, I mean, it wasn't like Weber's a good player, but like it's not like they gave Subban away for nothing. But Yeah, but they gave they gave away P.K. Subban in his prime for a Shea Weber, who still very good, but was kind of exiting his prime and no longer elite. Yep. Like, so, yeah. but, you know, what happened with that, with a lot of the fan base, and I'm assuming the management and the coaches, is that everybody loves P.K. Subban until things start going poorly. And then you need a scapegoat, and he has just about the easiest scapegoat you'll find because of his playing style, which is very, he's a playmaker. I mean, that's the only way you can really describe him unless you just hate the guys, that he is a playmaker. So obviously there are going to be mistakes. 
because he's trying to create. Whereas you have players, I don't know, I'm not trying to rile people up, so I won't say names, but there are certain players that are not, that are, that get a lot of praise for doing the right thing in the right time, but they don't do much to create those chances. They don't, you know, that's not their job and they don't try to do that. So they don't make many mistakes. Michael, this is our podcast. I think we should. We can probably say who we think. Well, I don't even know really. Like, I don't have a particular player in mind, but Nashville has players. I mean, the, the most obvious example, and this is not trying to upset people, is Johansson and Arvidsson, right? Yeah. Arvidsson's getting the points, even if you know, even if Johansson's not getting the the assists, right? He, I mean, he still set a season record for assists. But anyway, there there is such a thing as gravity in the NHL. Yeah. It's but it's funny. It's like if if the two if that line, like in the playoffs in the Dallas series, is not producing, the blame hundred percent of the blame is going to go to Johansson. Although Forsberg gets a bit of it because he tends to do stupid things past you know after the whistle. Right, that's the only other reason they would get criticized. And I'm not saying that's necessarily right or wrong. I do think the center has more responsibility in a line's performance than the wingers. Um, mm-hmm. But when things go right for that line, who's who's getting the credit? Usually not Johansson, at least from like a if you ask like a random fan. So that's I mean, to take that back to Subban though, like like you said, I think trading Subban at this point would just be trading him because you feel like you need to make a trade and he's your most expensive player. He's a bit contentious. Like um, I, I you'd I'd have to see the I'd have to see the return, obviously. And yeah. Quite frankly, we, we have no idea what a possible return could be because there just hasn't it hasn't been reported and I don't want to get into people in Pittsburgh saying that oh my God. they're gonna trade Jack Johnson and another Justin Schultz. Yeah, Justin Schultz. And then and then the people responding to that were saying that Nashville would have to retain salary. Yeah. Like do you watch the sport? Yeah. Do you understand it at all? No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like if if you trade, if you were to trade PK Subban for futures or anything that isn't of equal value, it essentially does shut the door on your on your window. Maybe not permanently, but at least for a year or two while you figure things out. And I like Dante Fabra quite a bit. He showed a lot of good flashes, but I am not. I do not think he will be as good as PK Subban ever, and definitely not this season. Like. You know, possibly ever. Who knows? Dante yeah. Fabro could jump, but yeah, I really think that ends it. Well, that that's a, I mean, that's a good point. That's a good way to look at it. Is is basically the only the only return I would be because if you ask me online, like I was saying a minute yeah. ago, I will say a hundred percent no. Do not trade PK Super. Yeah, because I, I mean, in, in any realistic situation, I don't like the return. Really? Now, if we're talking about what Nashville, what would make that a fair trade? Nashville needs basically scoring. Mm-hmm. I mean, they need offense. Well. Yeah. And I think the problem with that under that I that idea is that Subban is the premier zone exiter for the Predators, which is part of creating offense, right? You mm-hmm. have to get out of your zone. He's essentially the only one that was doing it decently in the playoffs this year, as you've pointed out at least. Yeah. Um, only one has a really positive effect on Nashville zone exits. So that's a huge part of offense now, okay, but you need maybe someone with a forward with some more shooting talent. But you need a known value. Like like you say, trading it for any kind of 
future possibility of success is yeah. just that's a step backwards or at least a step sideways when you need to be if anything moving forward so it is difficult to trade a player of Subban's price tag basically um, and if you do so it needs to be for someone you know is going to come in and score a lot of goals or create a lot of goals for other players and is that team willing to give that up for a $9 million defenseman? Yeah. The only the only teams that are willing to give that up usually are teams that are tanking, right? Yeah. If you're going to give up a known talent, then you're usually trading it for future considerations of some kind, drafts or what draft picks or prospects. It is so rare to see a, for example, Weber for Subban trade, right? Of like two somewhat equivalent values mm-hmm. laterally. I mean, it's kind of Granlin Fiala, in terms of one for one, but Fiala is a bit still a bit more of like a future yeah, unknown. Yeah, Graham was more of a known thing. So I'm just saying like the poss- the the actual fair return for Subban is so limited. And I don't think that anyone who has that is gonna really be willing to give it up. You would need to find someone who just had a very disappointing season with like a group of guys they've had for several years. And they're just frustrated to the point where they also feel like they need to do something different. So I don't think Subban gets traded this summer. And like you said, if they do trade him for anything other than a known top-end scorer... Oh, that's a loss. Then what are we doing here? You know, then you're... Because everyone else is in their prime. Or past it. There are no young... Except for now Dante Favreau. There are really no up-and-coming Predators players. There weren't any with, and except Fiala. Yeah. And now there aren't really any except well, Favreau. Ellie, Ellie Tolvanen. Right. But I mean, in terms kinda. of in terms of yeah. contributing to an NHL roster now yep. and improving, mm-hmm. it is only Dante Favreau. Mm-hmm. Tolvanen may be, may be in the roster starting next season. I don't but I don't even know. He was, yeah. He's not I don't know good. either. Like, besides I don't the either. shooting talent, I do not see with the kid. Let me, let me ask you a fun math question. You have you're gonna do you have a player that's good for fifty goals and you have two players that are good for twenty five goals each. Essentially same value. Which player do you or which option do you take? I take the two for twenty five. I take the one for fifty because we're also forgetting that we're gonna if you want to make this an equal sum game, we're gonna add another player into that. Yeah. So it's two options, so you're gonna have fifty plus whatever yeah. the other person brings. So do you think that you'll be able to find a one-for-one one value for Subban? Or do you think you're only going to be able to trade him for, for smaller parts? Because let's, I let's, think I yeah. think trading for smaller parts is the wrong move. I think in turn... Yeah, I agree for Subban's position for an elite right-handed defenseman. I mean, that's like the rarest position, right? Is a very yeah, right-handed talented shot right-handed defenseman. shot defenseman. That's like yeah. the premier position. Oh, holy grail. So if we're talking about like... Because frankly, I'm kind of sick of the streakiness of Nashville's forwards. So if you could, if I could get two players, they're going to produce at a lower value, but consistently, okay, fine. But in terms of Subban, no, I'm not. I'm really not interested in trading Subban for anything other than forty goals, right? Thirty-five. Yeah, I would say 30, 35 goals probably. But like guaranteed, barring injury, that's what the return needs to be next season. If you trade Subban, and I don't care about the reactionary bullshit of people that are sick of him because mm-hmm. they don't understand the game. I mean, that's just the only way to put it. You don't understand the game. If you think Subban needs to be traded for something other than elite scoring talent, you really are not understanding his value to this team. But Michael, counterpoint, 
turnovers. I don't care about turnovers. Like I said, I mean, that goes back to my <coughs> earlier point about would you rather have a playmaking play, you know, like elite playmaker who makes mistakes or do you rather a bunch of guys standing around waiting for someone to do something? Because we see with, like, has Matias Ekholm had to exit the defensive zone in two years? Like, barely, barely no. Little. So that's what someone said, like, okay, why don't we get, you know, in this hypothetical situation where Subban's gone, and my kind of joke but not really response was everyone would stand around and wait for the puck to leave the zone. (laughs) Like, we all make fun of him for, or, you know, we all. Some of us make fun of him for standing behind the net too long and then making a bad pass. Who else is trying to exit the zone? Who else are they asking to exit the zone? No one. If They're Romeo, asking yeah. him to exit the zone every single time. Yeah, if Romeo is on the ice or PKC, man, the puck's like in now. Right. Unless it's being dumped. And, like, you, you see it, like, I mean, you, you see it just in, like, the, the three-year uh, sample size we have from uh, Corey Schneider's tool. Like, Matthias Eckholm is in the 60th percentile for, I'm sorry, uh, in the 70th percent, 70th percentile for possession exits per 60, but is only in the 36th percentile for possession exit percentage, which means a lot of those times you're not maintaining possession. You're kind of flipping it out yes. and hoping. Maybe. Well, what that means is he is he is exiting the zone with possession more than the average defenseman or mm-hmm. average player. Yeah. But he is below average in the – basically he's just exit, – I don't know. It's hard, to, it's hard to really articulate that. But you're – yeah, it's like yeah. – Most of – the puck's getting out of the zone, but more often than not, it's not with possession. Yes. And Subban is in the 95th percentile for possession exits per 60 and drops down to a whopping 84th percentile for possession exit percentage. Like – Yes. He's really good. He's like, exiting the zone a lot. Sometimes – it's with possession a lot. Sometimes the best way to play defense is to not play defense at all. Like, don't put yourself in that position, and sometimes it works out. Best defense is a good offense. Oh. Exactly. It's like the the old school way of thought maybe isn't wrong. Yeah. Although I'm pretty sure a good the saying is a good offense is a good defense. Yes. But nevertheless. Well, the, okay, but then at least to play devil's advocate here, and uh-huh. I think this is a valid question too. Fair enough. One of Nashville's real issues in the Dallas series that was put on, like, you know, front and center – was their basically their zone defense? Oh, so, it's trash! I think Nashville did very well, or at least can be relied on to do well in in most games in transition defense. Mm-hmm. So when the team is trying to enter your offense, enter your zone, your defensive zone, how are you letting them do that? Is it with possession? Is it without possession? Are they passing? Are they carrying? Nashville tends to do pretty well at that. But once the zone has been established, the slot is kind of open. Mm. So when you have these defensemen, and it's not just Subin, we can look at the whole top four now, who are, you know, talked up so much. And they are, I mean... They're very talented. They're players you want on your team. So why does Nashville suck at defense once the zone has been established? You know, it feels like we just had this conversation about the power play. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you think it could be a... Do you think there could be a motif here or a common That's theme? That's funny. That's interesting because even I'm in the, I got caught in this trap of thinking I don't think of coaching as often defensively. Oh, see, I, I that's think funny because I'm catching myself doing that. I tend, I, I like a lot of people, I think when you see a defensive play that's terrible, mm-hmm. you blame the defenseman, you mm-hmm. blame that individual, or I do, even. yeah. And 
But that's interesting because yeah. I don't think of defensive coaching as often. There are, there are times where it is the defenseman's fault, but there are also times where you'll see like a defenseman trying to guard two guys in front of the net and then obviously not being able to guard both while the other gets the shot off. And you're kind of like, well, is that his fault for not being able to guard two people? Not really. Like, there, there should be another person. There, the strategy shouldn't have the center and the defenseman charging after one person behind the net. Um, yeah, but I think I, coaching, in my opinion, has a lot to do with defense, at least in hockey. Offense, oh, I believe that's true. It's yeah. just funny that I catch myself not thinking about it as often. Yeah. Idiot. Yeah. <laughs> you're the coach. That's right. The only, I mean, I would put some blame on the players for laying down on the ice. Oh, absolutely. Whoever whoever thought that was a good idea just to go down and lay down. Like, I'm sure it definitely works every once in a while, but... This is like the least... This is like the most out of character thing that I've ever said, but I'm pretty sure Subban is the one who brought that you think? to Oh, uh, maybe. I noticed him doing it before the others, <laughs> where it's like in a two-on-one situation. Or not mm-hmm. even. Like, it could be yeah. a two-on-two situation. Yeah, just... You go for like... And to be fair, with your stick and fully outreach, you're taking up like 10 feet of ice. Yeah. But it's so easy when you do it quickly. It's so easy for the, if the attacker has any patience, which most of them do at the NHL level. Yeah. They either wait for you to slide by them or they just elevate the puck like three inches and then it's over. <laughs> they make it, they, you know, they, they make it a saucer pass yeah. on everyone in the NHL, yeah. AHL, and CHL can make. <laughs> I, I love that. My, one of my favorite clips of all time is. Someone going on a two-on-one against Chris Russell for, for Edmonton. Mm-hmm. And Russell goes down, and all of a sudden, both players just instinctively stop. And he goes <laughs> sliding by, like, out of frame. That's all you have to do! Yeah, and then they probably just, just score a goal. It's <laughs> awesome. I don't... Yeah, I, I'll never understand why people think going... Yeah. Like, even blocking shots, Mike, unless you see the shot is off the stick and there's no way he can re-corral that, yeah. don't go down. Just, you know... You're taking your you're you're going all in when yeah. you don't before you need to, and you're taking yourself out of the play. So yes, I don't know if that's if you I don't know if that blame is on the players or the coaches, but please stay Stop on it. your skates, defensemen, everyone. The game is played on your skates. Falling down is not a good thing. Yeah, that's been driving me crazy. I can imagine. So, okay, well that's I mean now it's like a whole new reason to think about blame the coaching is. Why is their zone defense so bad? I if, guess. if it makes you want to feel any better, supposedly Peter Lavella is one of the most engaged people and, and like one of the most engaged coaches in offensive strategy. You've mentioned that before, and I is he is the same reputation not true for defense? I guess I don't think so, but I haven't really. I don't know yeah. particularly. I, w- I would imagine that he he trusts his defensive coach. Most most head coaches usually go for one thing yeah. or none at all. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, hmm. it's not good. I mean, I think that the good, like, if we're looking for silver linings, because I don't think it's time to panic. I mean, the the Predators are still a competitive team. I don't know if you would call them a, like, a cup contender anymore. I don't think that's really fair Mm -hmm. after their previous results. But, I mean, they're still a competitive team, and I think that they're not too far away from making it work. But, I mean, what are we doing here? If the coach, like, if the... (laughs) That's a good way to do it to say like what, what's the plan? Guys? Well, this is we like doing? this is something that I will always believe in a in a cap sport in a cap salary cap sport. Mm-hmm. There is, I mean, depending on the philosophy of the ownership group, if the, like like you've pointed out several times, 
owning a professional sports team is not for profit. It is for personal. It's for fun. It's like yeah. a, it's a pet project when you have way too much money. It's a way. It's a similar thing to me playing NHL nineteen. Right. So if the goal is then to win, you mm. want your prep project to do well. There is truly no point in being pretty good or okay. Yeah. I think that you should always either be in a in my perfect world, and I know this isn't always possible because of a million things, but yeah. I think you should always be a contender or tanking. There really should not be teams that are sustained okay. You, you keep talking about not wanting to be an extreme, and then you say stuff like that. That's, I mean, that's true. I was like, I'm guilty of it, but I think that if if you ask every team, if you ask the general manager, their owner, whoever, it's like at the high level whatever level you want to go to, they should be able to give you a very clear answer quickly to like, are you expecting to win this year or are you rebuilding this year? I just don't, other than like making some money off of fans. So with that said, like if Nashville comes back next year with the exact same personnel with the summer of basically blowing hot air of, of Peter Laviolette saying, I take responsibility for the power play. Okay, who cares? Like, why did I mean you should have taken responsibility for it all year? And if you didn't fix it all year, why are you going to fix it in the next two months mm-hmm. or three months or whatever? How many ever months you have? Yeah. So I don't get the point of that. I don't understand why you give someone. And I'm not saying Pierre all that. Now I'm just talking about the team in general, the whole organization. Why do that again? Why? I mean, and that's what I I brought this up before, and I do think it's a valid question. Hmm. How much did the trip to the cup final affect how the team is behaving now? Yeah. That totally changed everyone's expectations of this team. And that was the, like, I'm not saying they didn't deserve to go to the cup final. I'm not trying to take any way, anything away from that postseason. But is that really reflective of the, per, of the potential of the current group? And can we expect that back without any changes? I don't think so. I don't think this team is without some kind of other variable like outlandish goaltending in the playoffs, somebody catching a hot streak and scoring a bunch of goals when they weren't expected to. And without with like with the expectations of this group, I don't see them being back in a cup final. Yeah. I mean, like, besides Pecorini, what good like what good thing could you rely on for them? I mean, we talk in the regular season, we talk about Pecorini. Mm-hmm. I talk about P.K. Subban because I think he's a paramount for the zone transition game. And we talk about the first line, the Johansson line. That's it. Yeah. And against Dallas, Pecorini was average. Their high danger save percentage went from best in the league in the regular season to 8th out of 16th, 16 playoff teams. Ooh. So fell to average. Yeah, 87%. Not great. So the Johansson line's gone. They didn't do anything in the play in the play, uh, against say basically against Sagan going. Mm-hmm. Pecorino was average. Subban was good, but couldn't overcome how bad Nashville was in general. I, I think he was great. I think he had a he had I, a great. I, I'm on your side. Mm-hmm. I think he he and like Fabro. Oh. I guess you could say Grimaldi are like the weird <laughs> highlights. Like good for Grimaldi. Yeah, good for Grimaldi. That's all but you say. when when he's your best forward, something's him. wrong. Like, yes. When he's getting a shot on the second line, maybe things aren't going your that's, way. Hey, that's a win for like the the team grit, like the team heart. You know, like this guy cares more because he's a depth player. Um, Let him have that win, but you can't rely on yeah. it. Obviously, 
I'm surprised they didn't give Watson a shot up there just to really drive it home. That brings me to a different point. Ooh. Well, what I, well, I guess to close what I was saying is like, this team has a few highlights. They have a few things you can rely on, at least in the regular season. But now, really two years in a row, we've seen that you can't rely on them in the playoffs. No. I mean, you can't... Who do you can rely on Victor Arvidsson shooting 18% all season? Exactly. I just... Exactly. Philip Forsberg did If you look... Let me... I think... Let me, let, me check, let me just pull up the individual stats real quick, but... Yeah, like... Ryan Johansson uh, averaged his normal for the season as far as individual high-danger chances created. His individual scoring chances created went down a little bit, but, like, not too much. He, yeah, like, he, I don't know. Even, I guess, technically his shots per game went up, too. He had 10 and 6. Like, he, yeah. he wasn't the problem. Kyle Turris was just snake bit as all hell. Like, um... Yeah, Austin Watson was technically the leader in expected goals for, which I'm not sure how that happened, but... Yeah, I think this is unrelated to the Watson thing, because I know that people will accuse me of being biased. I think that natural statrics expected goals were a bit busted. Yeah, possibly. none of them really make all that much sense for the, yeah. this series. If you want to talk about giveaways, though, Austin Watson had eight and only one takeaway. But no, he's good on defense. He's a good defensive <laughs> player. I think we all know this. This does bring me to the point. The point I was. I shouldn't say that because I'm such a against that that saying that phrase. But yeah, this is well. This is the point I was going to get out. Is like I, I understand that you you should expect more from your expensive players, like your mm-hmm. premier, you know, the, the players that make the team. Your Johansons. You could argue. Your Kyle Terraces, like your second line center, is important. If you're a cup contender, that mm-hmm. should be a pretty good player. So I understand why why people are placing blame on them, but there are like uh, not to bang this old drum, but Benino's line, oh, God. brutal! I mean, just obliterated. They were a complete non-factor. There is no other way to put it. They it was like they did not exist when they were on the ice in the offensive and defense for zone. six. I mean, maybe they had a few games. They had maybe I think one game where that line was the best in terms of who was creating shot shot attempts and who who's allowing them. Mm-hmm. I think they had one game out of six that they were the best. So when we all sit around and we talk about how Johansson's line didn't produce and Turris needs to be gone because he's not producing and Subban isn't producing as the team's most expensive players. Why are we talking about I'm, how the players that did less than nothing? I'm going to throw some stats at you, and I think you're going to like them. <laughs> Colton Sissons, Austin Watson, Nick Benino in six playoff games and had 37 minutes of ice time together. So had a, a little over five. And this, all, over this is all game. at five Sorry. on five. Math. Yeah, a little yeah. over six, five on five minutes per game. 39.02 Corsi. Oh my god. A 47.62 shot share. One goal for, four goals against. And then had a 46% expected goals rate ratio. And then a 42% high danger chance created ratio. No, that's they were, bad. They were just bad. They were bad. And I know they were getting the matchup. And that's my problem is like, I'm not blaming the players. Yeah. They were being used. In a shutdown line role every game, and they shut weren't down. shutting anyone down. Like at least read, you know, you, 
I don't want to say read the tea leaves or read the net sat page, but like, I don't think anyone ever looked at, at them on the ice and said, you know what? These guys are doing well. They're not the problem. Like they're clearly, it wasn't working. I'm not saying break them up, but try something different. Just, you know, throw them out there against the fourth line. Maybe who knows? That's, I mean, that's been an issue of mine all year though, is like we sit around, we can sit around and talk about how Kyle Terris is not producing. And I think, I'm not going to get into this. I'm not going to make this a whole thing, but I think Kyle Turris' injuries played into this his production this season a lot more than people think. Because when he was playing, I don't think he was ever healthy. And even if he was healthy, he was still considerably weaker than before because I'm pretty sure he couldn't exercise while on a broken foot twice. So that's all really say about Kyle Turris. But we all sit around and and kind of... um, split hairs over these these big name players and are they worth it meanwhile we ignore like more than half the team half the roster that's not doing anything yeah and to me that is again once again that comes back to coaching as we mentioned with Benino being matched again I don't have a personal vendetta against Nick Benino I think he's fine I think he's obviously like a, a, a consistent NHL player but when you're matching him against Tyler Sagan six games in a row and in all but one case he gets his line gets utterly decimated again the question what are we doing here that should be the title of this what are we doing here here? oh by the way what what podcast are we do you want me to do that now (laughs) i mean not technically you are (laughs) you are so fortunate to be listening to between the fangs podcast a production of penalty box radio and all of our fine sponsors with your co-host, George Mataringas, and myself, Michael Wade, uh, where we talk about analytics, the National Predators, and hockey. Pretty much, yeah, I was going to say the NHL, but really anything. Yeah. Uh, get a, SPHL, is it going to be our summer theme? I really rather not. <laughs> Hansel Havoc, SPHL <laughs> champions. You don't want to talk about it? Uh, Anyhow. Um, I'd rather watch the MMA or whatever you call it. <laughs> I know the MMA is uh, UFC. Why? The MMA. I would the rather MMA. watch the MMA. I'd rather, I'd rather watch the football. <laughs> the footballs. <laughs> oh, man. Not good. Not good. It only took 53 minutes for us to get into that. Yeah. Tight. That is, I mean, that's not our typical format of between the somethings, but, I mean, what are we doing here is... That's how I feel about the team. Between the what are we doing here. Between the what are we doing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are we doing between here? <laughs> <laughs> that's how I feel about the team. Is yeah. When when the GM comes out on locker room cleanout day or, or the day before or whatever to the media and says, as of right now, nothing is changing after your expectations for the season, at least from the organization standpoint, your expectations from the season have been completely put by the wayside. And you come out and say the first thing you say is basically we're disappointed, but we're not changing anything yet again. What are we doing here? We're just going to keep doing the same thing and hoping something different happens. Between the insanity. Between the insanity. Ooh. Edgy. I like that. (laughs) That's going to get some clicks, I'll tell you what. (laughs) No, it won't. So, uh, yeah, we're blaming players, I guess, is where we're at. And if we're blaming players, then we're probably blaming the star players, which means that they're going to do something stupid. Oh, and now we can finally talk about this. This is unconfirmed. But this, everything I've heard unofficially is that the director for the Predators Analytics Department is now working for an MLS team. And that's pretty much all I know about that. 
Yeah. I won't say my sources because I want to protect them. <laughs> and I don't know how trustworthy they are. But True. So does that mean, I'm assuming that's not because Nashville thought they had a better analytics person out there. I'm assuming that means that Nashville has decided that analytics are not important to them. Well, I mean, there's going to be any Vanderbilt student off the street they can get. They're offering, for less than 24 hours, to their credit, they did publish a 40-hour a week unpaid internship. Yeah, no benefits or nothing. Nothing. I would get paid more if I signed up for a Vanderbilt trial health trial where I took a placebo pill for 30 minutes and then left. I would get $15 Amazon gift card, which is more than I would earn working 40 hours a week. Yeah, in a year. Full time for 100 years. Yeah. <laughs> That's a predator's end. But, what are we doing here? But I you, say again. But you would be able to tell people that you worked for the National Predators, and doesn't that mean something? Think of that exposure. <laughs> where I was the, I was an analytics individual (laughs) that was nothing they never really said what you would be doing and a lot of the language was very not internship because because they're like you need to work i did read this yeah you need to work as a uh individually like self-starter and not not at the behest of like your your manager which as an intern is very out like out of the play like that's off limits in in my opinion An, an intern should literally just go there and do whatever they tell them to do that's the, I mean, the funny thing is like, you know, we talk about like the ethical nature of this. I think aside from, I mean, there are a handful of people that think that as the employer in this situation, the predators should be allowed to offer whatever job they want. And I, I see that. I get the point. The invisible hand, Michael. Ethically speaking, they're not forcing anyone to do this. Mm. So, I mean, it's completely unethical in that you're, you're convincing someone that this is worth their time, right? That your exposure coming out of this will be worth not getting paid a dime. Um, Ooh, and my favorite part about that, but not to interject, is that you would have to be on hand. So it's normal. It was normal yep. business hours from what I could tell, but you'd also have to be on hand during uh, yep. all game times and holidays. Before and after. Which, so it's more than 40 hours. Yeah. How do you go to school? Like, right. How, how do you... Yep. Because if you're going to be there as a desk job, like a normal afternoon job... Typically speaking, you have to take night classes, but let's say you know you're taking Monday and Wednesday night classes in the week. Yep. There's bound to be games on Mondays and Wednesdays. So the professor is like, yeah, you can just miss half my classes. Yeah. Like, it so makes no sense. You talk about how unethical it is, sure, and that's maybe a debatable thing, like a gray area. But when you talk about black and white, an internship, an intern is not allowed to directly benefit the organization they're interning with. Oh, really? That's part of the rules of being an intern in the U.S. is like, Basically, the whole point is for the intern to learn. Mm. The company should not benefit tangibly from the intern. But the language of that job ad was like, you're going to be creating, basically, like, you're going to be collecting stats, producing reports. Like, that's information that is extremely valuable to a team or should be extremely valuable to a team. You're contributing directly to the team's success. Whether or not they do anything with the information, no one seems to, except for a handful of teams that actually give a shit about this stuff. Um, but yeah, that that was just that just stank all over, and I'm very glad that that got like ripped apart as thoroughly as it did. I was, I feel like you and someone else were like the first people to really rip into, it, and then everyone else piled on. I mean, I I like I just posted the picture of the 40 hours a week and the unpaid. That was all I posted. <laughs> I circled those. 
but yeah, somebody from Toronto, which is like, if you know, if your hockey news makes it to Toronto, that's the fast track to the the yeah, you know, the rest of the NHL. center stage, right? So someone from Toronto, yeah, like posted about how bullshit it was and how bad of a look it is for the team. And I agree with them. It is a terrible look for the team. Even if it's not just them. Like that was the counterpoint is that everyone's doing this. And sure, but I mean that was just a terrible example of it. Like 40 hours plus every week. No compensation at all. Not even even a stipend. Not even like gas money going the other way. And they require that you have like – what did I I forget the language because now it's disappeared. But like, you know – Living arrangements, oh, transportation change, from yeah, work, transportation to living arrangements. Like what so happens? So you're looking if a, for volunteers. Yeah. What happens if a month, a month and a half into this, your car just breaks down? What are you gonna do? Pay it back yeah. for that money you're yeah. making? I'll go. Drive, I'll go tow it to a shop for yeah. hundred dollars, and then pay them for three hundred dollars to fix whatever it is with my zero dollars. Yeah. Income. And what do you with a forty hour job and going to school? Can you work another job? Like That's all? the thing is the only people that could do this are people that are independently wealthy enough to afford going to school and not work. Yeah. And on top of that, practically able to work more than forty hours a week while maintaining school and not I, being paid. I guess you wouldn't have to be a full time student, but you would have to be receiving credit for it. It's yeah. no, it's there's so many reasons it's wrong. Like it just it's hilarious. And I'm very glad that it got noticed. Yeah. I was afraid that that was just like, I'm sure someone would do it. So yeah. I, I figured it would just kind of disappear. But like, I would have been happier if they just posted on, on like Indeed, like, hey, we're looking for volunteers, just whoever wants. Yeah. Like, just send an application, don't care. Like, as long as you have these requirements and are mm-hmm. not like a criminal, like, come on down. Because it's not like, it wasn't like they're looking for someone with like um, they weren't looking computer for abilities. Yeah. It was like, you need to be I mean, you need to be experienced in these statistical programs. Hmm. You need to have experience with these statistical analysis. Like although they, they did want someone that was under twenty two years old and competent in three coding languages, yeah. which correction one of three. One of three oh. to their defense, it was not all three. It oh, was I one of three. Everything. No, no, no. Yeah, I, let's. I don't want to. I don't want to fake news here. Yeah. They deserve to be ripped apart, but let's be accurate. Fair enough. Uh, let's not. Let's but not still, it's like. That's some, I learned statistical programming in college, so you have to be college educated or like inability taught. Mm. And I mean, they're basically looking for someone who's already pretty much through college, who's very wealthy, who lives yeah. in the area, who has all these things already, like transportation, who can afford to work forty hours a week unpaid, who has the time abilities to work forty hours a week unpaid and go to school. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's nuts. I mean. I really, I'm really curious to know the order of events of how things happened between, between locker room cleanup day or whatever it was to like, you know, Matt Pfeffer will no longer be yeah. with us. Which they haven't, that's they haven't, they haven't, they yeah. haven't said that. All I know about that, like concrete facts. The only thing I know about that is that he is no longer on their website. He used to be on their website. I guess it's the director of analytics. His LinkedIn profile still says he's a data engineer for the National Predators, but he's no longer on their website. And the unconfirmed report I heard is that he not works for an MLS team. So not only is National blaming the players, they're also blaming like innovation. So they need to go back to old school players that'll bring them more success. Do you think that the person that was going to get hired as the intern was going to be the new chief of analytics? That's... That's an interesting thing. Like, replace the director of analytics just, with an unpaid intern. They threw him the keys, like, yep. make it work. Yep. Here's the office. That, <laughs> Jeez. 
No, that's a mess. I have not, uh, not to pile on the Predators. No, I mean, I have said on the record that it seems like they literally do everything the exact opposite of the way I would do it, which (laughs) continues even down to things like them signing Matthew Olivier. Like, why? Yeah, why would you need to do that? It's it's a it doesn't matter. Maybe yeah, it's a roster spot. Like overall, it doesn't really affect the NHL team. But it's still something I wouldn't have done, and it's very interesting that they do everything I wouldn't do. Matt, Matthew's claim to fame, Matthew Olivier's claim to fame, because he went professional, is that he was like six on the team in penalty minutes. Yeah. he had twelve points he's, in sixty games. Uh, he's not good. Like, why are you using so this like, roster spot for him? Yeah, especially before the draft. And if your takeaway, I'm like, it may be that the analytics individual Matt Pfeffer. I feel like weird, like continuing to say his name, but. It's possible that he just left because he didn't like it. But I'm assuming... It's also possible that they, that they shot him out of a can. Like, yes. I, I, well, I'm assuming... Really con- combining the fact that he's gone, oppo- apparently he's gone. Supposedly. And that they're looking for unpaid interns to, to be in their analytics department. <laughs> that tells me that they don't really have a lot of value in this. Which means that their takeaway from the Dallas series and the season in general is that they have the right coaches, they don't have the right players, and... Analytics were a problem, which is very bad news for me. That is alarm bells. In, yeah. In 2019, NHL, if that is your approach. The year of our Lord, 2019. Ooh. Yeah, this is not good. You this know is... who else hates analytics and everything 21st century? The Edmonton Oilers. The Ottawa Senators. Terrible. Yeah. I. Yeah, I don't know, man. This is not good. This went on a tangent, but basically what I'm saying is, what are we doing here? <laughs> Between the what are we doing here? There's got to be better. We'll, we'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll go up with a better name. We'll, we'll, take, we'll take a night to sleep on it. Figure right. it out. Have you have you made your piece? Um, not really, but, you know, I don't know. I don't really do I don't know how much of a piece to make for the parents. Do you want to cover I, anything else? Eric Carlson's a beauty. Yeah. Sharks are doing... Much better than Predators. They have a series yeah. lead as we speak. Despite playing a much tougher opponent. Yes. I guess we, never, we didn't talk about the call, but... The call. The the Vegas five minutes or ten minutes left down three nothing call. Well, to continue making this about the Predators. You mean San Jose scoring more power play goals in five minutes than Nashville scored since March? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> no, I'm talking about the one where the Sharks scored uh, 12% of the Predators regular season total <laughs> in, one, in one power play. You're talking about them scoring... Well, I don't know. I don't, four more goals in five minutes. The Nashville scored on every power play in the playoffs. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. That That's one. I think maybe we got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that one. Um, okay. Now that we're on the same page. Yeah, that was a bad penalty, and the Sharks shouldn't have gotten through. But here we are. It's the playoffs. Eric Carlson, baby. Ek. Ten points despite having like one and a half ankles and yeah. a quarter of a groin. I do. Yeah. I'm still. I still tend to think that. Two ankle Eric Carlson is superior to one and a half ankle Eric Carlson, but he's still, but we don't have you know, proof. <laughs> he's still doing quite well. They're both so good. It's just funny that I mean I genuinely like was putting a fork in the San Jose Sharks. Like not only were they not getting results, they were down when you watch now. the highlights of Vegas's goals, San Jose didn't give a shit. Like as soon as they got beat on the ice, they were they didn't care. Like yeah. Skate on by. Well, they, they like they understood like if I don't stop the shot from getting off that stick, it's probably going in. <laughs> And like that it gets old. It, it was old. like that was the worst part. Martin Jones was sitting there like, ah, <laughs> I've never done this before. 
Yeah, not oh, good. And then he saves, what, 53 shots to send him to... Oh, to Game 7? Game 7. And then we forget this. Bad in Game 7. Yep. The Sharks just happened to score four <laughs> goals. like Or five goals, whatever it was. Oh, my God. Martin Jones yeah, is no, not was... good for six out of the seven games in that series. But God bless. He came up in Game 6. It's a real shame I fell asleep between... Period three in overtime because that was an all time classic. I I stopped I stopped watching after the third period and checked back in with like five or with like seven minutes left when it was three two because I'm like, all right, almost see how the Sharks blow this. Yes, and then they almost did. They they almost got to give them credit. They Imagine did. being at the Shark Tank and leaving, which some people do. Oh god, well that, that's just stupid. You yeah. should never ever leave a hot. No, I don't. I unless it's ten nothing. Like I I, I'm, you, I can confidently say. I have never left a hockey game early. I've left yeah. football games early to beat traffic. I've never left yeah. a hockey game early. Yeah, I've, I've I would rather watch. I I often say I would rather watch atrocious hockey than not watch hockey. So I will sit. I will stick it out. And this is why you are an Islanders fan. <laughs> I'm not. I in my like why you should cheer for each of the four Eastern Conference teams. It's like the Islanders. Like Robin Leonard has a good story. Um, <laughs> Like Matt Barzell's good. Otherwise, well, I'm, I'm actually now I want to look this up because I I really did appreciate yeah. I did enjoy my comments about the New York Islanders and yours was good too about the yeah. Western Conference teams. My article was was more serious than funny, but yours was hilarious. Oh, I just like went. Out I, yeah, you were. I was not going to take that serious. I mean, I you well, should we we clearly should not have. I, I just kind of got caught up in it. I, th- I was like writing it late night, and I wrote three teams. I was like, oh fuck, I should try to make this yeah. funny. I never did. No, that's stuff like that. Like, I mean, I'm obviously like Carol. I I cheered louder probably for Carolina scoring the game seven winning goal against Washington oh, than I did for any Predators. That was goal. nuts. That was such a that was so sweet too. Here's what I said about the New York Islanders. Pros: Robin Leonard, despised by Rangers fans. Pure unsustainability provides maximum chaos. All true. I stand by that. Cons: moved back to Brooklyn for second round. Don't use Fishman logo, parentheses, cowards. Not a very good hockey team. Yeah. <laughs> That's all true. Yeah, no, I'm not a you I'm not a fan of the Islanders. Use the use use the Fisherman logo, you cowards. That's just fun. It's like two examples of just being completely out of touch with the right thing to do. <laughs> Stay in Long Island, use the Fisherman logo, you cowards. That it was very hard to write pros about Boston. Like I Pasternak. Patrice Bergeron. Bergeron. Yeah, he's basically the Bergeron. beauty. I wrote, oh, I'll just do this. Bergeron line is among league's best. Produced very well on skill, not luck. The PDO is quite low. Hmm. And they protect us from late round Leafs fans every year, which is true. We don't have to deal with Leafs fans. Steve Dangle makes his final video after round one every year. <laughs> Cons. Uh, Marchand and, and Shara think the whistle means please injure people now. Which I wrote this before the butt end incident or the, the other the, night. The punching, yes. yeah. And uh, cons, of course, being Boston fans. Yeah, Boston. It was hard to write good things about the Bruins. That's a team I really despise. Mm. I don't like. Uh, really, one example of this is kind of like a masochistic thing because I do like one yellow team, but the other yellow teams, no sir. Boston, which, which is another yellow team you dislike? Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, yeah, for now. Yeah, I do like the Predators, which is, again, a masochistic thing. Because <laughs> I'm going to be back here in October saying, hey, this is the year. <laughs> Ryan Johansson and P.K. Subban can drag this team to success this year. If P.K. Subban's still here. Yeah. Oh, God. 
If he and or Johansson get traded, I mean, I'm, I'm prepared to become a fan of Whatever the Vancouver saying. Canucks when they have Ryan Johansson. Someone was, I saw a rumor that uh, Subban to Vancouver made a lot of sense. And quite frankly, I'm, a, I'm, if, I'm with it if Quinn Hughes and like maybe Brock Besser or like a first round pick are going the other way. Just because I yeah. see Quinn Hughes as like yeah. PK Subban 2.0 in that he's so good at exiting the zone and so fun in transition, but that's this is what I'm I, what I mean is like he doesn't I as much of a PK Subban <laughs> as much as a PK Subban fan as I am, I am willing to consider every reasonable trade. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, as you are, should. There are so few reasonable trades. Yeah, you should never be married right. to unless his name is Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby, you should never be married to anyone. Yeah. I mean, hell, Eric Carlson, the best defenseman of, like, the last 15 to 20 years, just got traded. Yeah. Well, Ottawa kind of... Do we count... Ottawa is an interesting case. It's like the same, it's like the same case that Gretzky was. Where he just shit ownership. I'm glad to see that Duchesne is finally having success. I'm kind of happy for him. Because when Columbus wasn't getting it together towards the end of the regular season, I was like, damn, Matt Duchesne has been on Colorado when they were historically bad. Ottawa, when they... Went from Eastern Conference Finals to the joke of the league. And then Columbus when they traded everything for this guy and they still can't win. But now they're winning. So credit to Matthew Shane. Yeah. And he scored some yeah, big goals. Big goal very big goals for them. Some game winners. All right. Just to close this episode out, knowing what we know today, do you make Ryan Johansson for Seth Jones trade? I can I'm like I feel like I'm just gonna back out of this. Because I agree with the opinion of you can't really judge this trade now. Like yeah. you, there's yeah. so many there's... things that have happened since that trade that potentially wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. If Seth Jones like if that trade never happened. Seth Jones do, probably doesn't get first line time and he probably doesn't do, accelerate. Does Nashville get to the cup final? Yeah. And then are we even talking about how they have a first line that's not producing against Dallas in the first round? Like I mean, is that even an expectation that they beat out? Like, there's so yeah. many what ifs. I do. I still do think it was the right trade, especially with Nashville going and getting Subban or getting with the way things are. Dante Fabro. Like they have. Yeah. They still. I mean, they've even traded another really good defenseman in Sam Girard. Like they've their cool. their defense is, is like has been still one of the better defensive core in the NHL, even after making those two trades. So I don't. I no yeah I guess I to answer your question yes or no yes I do I do still make that trade I think Nashville yeah. got what they needed and I think that they gave up a very good piece but not one that they couldn't afford to lose and Columbus could say the same really I mean, yeah look at where they are now yeah they gave up a first round or a a really good first first line center for a Norris candidate defenseman yeah right so, shot. What I say I say yes, I still make that trade, but I also I'm upset at you for asking me that question. Yeah. I figured. Does that answer your question? <laughs> <laughs> You're upset at me. What else is new? Yeah. Right, take uh, us home. Where can we find you? Uh I still write for Penny Box Radio. Um uh, <laughs> What do you mean still write? Still write. <laughs> is it am I wrong? No, you Am I wrong, Michael? No, it's just a weird thing to put emphasis no. on. Well, they as, still as, as the newest intern for the National Predators. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no longer allowed yeah. to Um yeah, no, I, uh, yep. So it's Pelibox Radio. Find me on Twitter, George M1019. 
if you want to hire someone to run your analytics department, <laughs> pay and actually pay, pay literally pay a little money. Like I don't, know, I don't need much. But like minimum wage would be nice. Yeah, seven twenty-five an hour. Yeah, is that so much? Is to that ask it? for oh. a four hundred twenty-five million dollar team? Yeah, dicks. Uh, you can find me. I still write for Penalty Box Radio as well. <laughs> Amazingly. <laughs> Surprisingly. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at WadeM117. Wade'em. And you can find me um, around the radio occasionally on 1025 The Game oh. when Justin lets us on. Yeah, just- uh, you can find me at Fordyce Center playing in uh, D-League. Um, you can find me in the three-on-three tournament happening two weeks from now on Saturday oh. night. I'd say you should go and support him, but I'm not going to. No. So I'm not going to. I'm not asking anybody to, believe me. I'm just uh, I'm literally trying to answer the question just where can bragging. you find me? No, I'm literally asking uh, where can you find me? Oh, uh, you can find me at work. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks very much for listening, folks. And uh, until we speak again, it is the off season, so. Hopefully, we'll have one at least before the draft. Yeah. Or after the draft. One fair. of the two. Yeah. Take it easy. What? 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 What?